to, our, I think most of our folks know this, but um, maybe not everybody here tonight is aware of what we're doing as a church. And if you're not doing this with us as far as reading scriptures, that's fine uh, tonight. I hope will be helpful to you anyway. But we're reading the scriptures through on a schedule in 2019, uh, reading it chronologically uh, from Genesis to Revelation. And we're uh, these calendars, by the way, I hope you picked one up from May. They are back there on the back rail. And that'll, if, you, if you're doing it that way or if you're using the Bible app that we're using or however you're doing it, um, let you know what we're supposed to be reading and uh, keep you up to speed. If you get behind, it's okay. Try to catch up. Try to uh, read what we're supposed to be reading and then go back and read what you missed. And you can catch up if you do just a little bit at a time. So what we're doing is reading the Bible together this year in 2019. And a couple Sunday nights a month, though there often there's something else that goes on one of those Sunday nights where we do something a little bit different. But we're aiming for a couple Sunday nights a month where we just help the congregation reflect on what we're reading and put some things in context and help us to situate these things within the biblical story. <clears throat> what I'm trying to do and what you guys know and I think is most helpful for us is to read the Bible as one continuous narrative, one, one continuous story. It's a beautiful story, and as I've shared with you so many times, you know, I remember growing up in a church, a small church, I never knew anything different, you know, and so knew a lot of Bible stories from Bible classes that we always went to, vacation Bible schools and devos and sermons and all that. I mean, I got, I got it every time the doors were open, you know, uh, but I, I think I'm, I was like a lot of folks in that I knew a lot of random Bible stories and a lot of random Bible names, but I couldn't have, for the life of me, I could, I could not have put it in one cohesive narrative until at some point when after I was an adult when um, I realized the importance of it and started thinking more about that. And so we're trying to do that as a congregation to help us to do that, and I hope it's helpful to you. Using these videos that we're going to watch, one more of them tonight, just a short video. Uh, it's the main thing I like about the, pro the Bible Project videos is that that's their goal is they started these videos to try to help people to recognize the beauty of the biblical story and how every part of it fits together as part of this cohesive narrative to function one main thing, and that is God's restoring us to himself, redeeming us in Christ. And every part of the biblical story ties into that. And so it's when we get where we are now in 2 Samuel, and then we move on into you know 1 Kings, and we're reading some Proverbs this week, <clears throat> and reading some Psalms, it's easy for us to get bogged down in trying to check these boxes off and get my little check mark on the Bible app so that I know I'm caught up, you know, or however you go about it. It's easy for us to get caught up in that and to forget why we're doing this. You know, we're not doing it just to say, I read through my Bible this year, but we're doing it so that we might once again be overwhelmed with the beauty of God's story and what he's doing for us in Christ. So that's what we're doing in the class for the next uh, few minutes. We'll just uh, think about some of the things that we're reading, and I'm going to try to help just walk with you along through this as you are reading and, and help you to make sure we're still on the same page as we uh, try to fit this in, what God is doing. So in 2 Samuel, which is where we are, just a, just a quick recap, you know, we've, <clears throat> we've read a lot. This is, this is 1st of May, so we're January, February, March, April. We're four, a little over four months into this, a third of the way through the, the Bible chronologically, most of it, a lot of it's in the Old Testament, about two-thirds of the Bible's in the Old Testament, so we're about, I guess, I haven't, I haven't checked this for sure, but I guess we're about halfway done with the, with the Old, Old Testament text, I'm guessing, 
And so when we come to 2 Samuel, we're right in the middle of the historical part. And if you, you, you just walk through this, historically speaking, you go from you know, just these big points. You've got creation in Genesis 1 and 2, the fall in Genesis 3 where everything gets messed up. We mess up and, and we're, we're disconnected from God. The, the planet gets messed up. And we're messed up with one another. So those, those three things really get messed up. <clears throat> First and foremost, our relationship with God is disconnected, which results in being disconnected from one another horizontally to other human beings. And also the planet itself is in rebellion, <clears throat> which is, as you see that around us today and the consequences of that, that we still suffer from in the world and the tornadoes and you know, um, uh, the hurricanes and just the upheaval and, and all that the planet itself is in rebellion. God's going to fix all this one day. We're going to be reconciled to him. We'll be reconciled to one another in beauty and God's going to restore all things as they ought to be. And so the creation, the fall, the rest of the biblical story is about what? You know, what's God doing? He's redeeming us, right? He's, he's redeeming us. He's, he's reconciling us with him. And so when we read Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we read about the, the holiness and how we cannot be in the presence of God because God is holy and we're not. We've, we've got, we're tainted by sin. God wants to be with us, but all this is in a, with a view toward what he's going to do in Christ. You know? So God's going to fix this. But the story continues on. And, and what you see after God gives them the covenant is he wants them to keep the covenant to be in, in fellowship with him, but God's people just don't do that very well. You see that such an ugly way in Judges when we read that about, you know, just violence and bloodshed and misogyny and um, sexual, all sorts of sexual deviance being practiced and, and just goes on and on through Judges. And then Joshua, they go and they, <coughs> they, they conquer the land, so they inhabit the land. That was preceding judges. They, they conquered it and they, they established some sort of you know, semi-form of government with the, with the judges. But they live in rebellion to God. Finally, they ask for a king and God gives them a king. And so we're in that, time of period, that period of time where God has blessed them with kings. The first one was exactly what they wanted. That was Saul. This is in 1 Samuel. They got Saul. He was tall. He was good looking. He looked like a military guy and he started off doing pretty well. But that didn't last very long. Saul was a proud man. And he rebelled against God. And God took the kingdom away from him and he gave it to David. <coughs> now, we're going to stop for a second. We're going to watch this video about 2 Samuel because that's where we are. It'll last just a few minutes. I hope this is helpful. I, I don't know if I need to offer a disclaimer every time we watch one of these. Um, but they are animated. Uh, don't confuse animation with lack of substance uh, because they're, if you listen closely and you know, I've watched many of these repetitively and every time I listen to one I, I learn something else so they're, they're substantive there's there's meat here so I hope that you'll you know you won't just pass this off as a, as a cartoon or animation or whatever there's substance and so we'll listen and watch this and then I'll get back up and follow up with it. the book of second Samuel Check out the video on 1 Samuel, where we were introduced to the book's three main characters, Samuel, Saul, and David, and then also to the book's literary design, which first introduced Samuel 
and then traced the rise and fall of King Saul in contrast to the rise of King David. 2 Samuel tells the story of David as Israel's king, and in two movements. There's a season of success and blessing, followed by a huge moral failure and then its sad consequences. And then the book ends with this well-crafted conclusion that reflects back on the good and the bad in David's life, generating hope for a future king to come from his line. So 2 Samuel picks up after Saul's death. And David surprises everyone by composing this long poem where he laments the death of the very man who tried to murder him. And so once again, the author, he's presenting David's humility and compassion. He's a man who grieves the death even of his own enemies. After this, David experiences a season of success and God's blessing. All of the Israelite tribes, they come to David and then they ask him to unify all the tribes as their king. And so the first thing David does as king is to go to the city of Jerusalem, he conquers it, and he establishes it as Israel's capital city, which he renames as Zion. And from there, David goes on and he wins many battles and expands Israel's territory. Now, after making Jerusalem the political capital of Israel, he wants to make it their religious capital as well. And so he has the Ark of the Covenant moved into the city. And then in 2 Samuel 7, he tells God, now that Israel has a permanent home, he thinks that God's presence should also get a permanent house. So he asks if he can build a temple for the God of Israel. But God says to David, thank you for that thought, but actually I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty. Now, 2 Samuel 7, this is a key chapter for understanding the storyline of the whole Bible. Because God here makes a promise to David that from his royal line will come a future king who's going to build God's temple here on earth and set up an eternal kingdom. And it's this messianic promise to David that gets picked up and developed more in the book of Psalms and also in the books of the prophets. And it's this king that gets connected to God's promise to Abraham. The future messianic kingdom will be how God brings his blessing to all of the nations. And it's right here in the midst of all this divine blessing that things go horribly wrong. David makes a fatal mistake, not fatal for him, but for a man named Uriah, one of David's prized soldiers. So from his rooftop, David sees Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, bathing. David finds her, he sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and then he tries to cover the whole thing up by having Uriah assassinated and then marrying her. It's just horrible. So when David's confronted by the prophet Nathan about all of this, he immediately owns up to what he's done. He's broken, he repents, he asks God to forgive him, and God does forgive him, but God doesn't erase the consequences of David's decisions. And so as a result of this horrible choice, David's family, his kingdom, it all falls apart. And it makes this section a tragic story, much like Saul's downfall. So David's sons end up repeating his own mistakes, but in even more tragic ways. So Amnon sexually abuses his sister, Tamar, and then their brother Absalom finds out about all of this and has Amnon assassinated. And then Absalom goes and he hatches this secret plan to oust his father David from power, and he launches this full-scale rebellion. And so for a second time, David is forced to flee from his own home and go hide in the wilderness, except this time he is not an innocent man. The rebellion ends when David's son is murdered, when it breaks David's heart. And so once again, he laments over the very man who tried to kill him. David's last days find him back on his throne, but as a broken man, he's wounded by the sad consequences of his sin. The book concludes with a well-crafted epilogue. 
with stories that are out of chronological order, but they have this really cool symmetrical literary design. So the outer pair of stories come from earlier in David's reign, and they compare the failures of Saul and then of David, and how each of them hurt other people through their bad decisions. The next inner pair of stories are about David and his band of mighty men who went about fighting the Philistines. And what's interesting is that both sections have a story of David's weakness in battle. So in contrast to the victorious David of chapters 1 through 9, here we see a vulnerable David who's dependent on others for help. The center of the epilogue has two poems that act like memoirs, and David reflects back on his life. And he remembers times when God graciously rescued him from danger. And he sees these as moments where God was faithful to his covenant promise to him and to his family. Both poems conclude by looking back onto the hope of God's promise of a future king who will build that eternal kingdom. Now these poems and then God's promise also connect back to Hannah's poem that opened the book. And so these key passages from the beginning, now the middle, and the end of the book bring the book's themes all together. Despite Saul and David's evil, God remained at work moving forward his redemptive purposes. And God opposed David and Saul's arrogance, but he exalted David when he humbled himself. And so the future hope of this book reaches far beyond David himself. It looks to the future, to the messianic king who will one day bring God's kingdom and blessing to all of the nations. And that's what the book of Samuel is all about. Okay, so a uh, couple things about, about that, about... Second Samuel. We're right in the middle of Second Samuel in our reading, so we'll finish it up what in the next week or two, I guess. And um, there, one thing that I didn't know until one of many things, but um, one thing in particular I didn't know before I watched that was the the wilderness thing. I think it's interesting how how Samuel, how the the book of Samuel, First Second Samuel together, take the story of David and. There are so many ways in which you don't notice how the story is beautifully told. And you've got the, the wilderness connection is the part I was, that I noticed when I was watching that, is that David initially was running from Saul, who was trying to kill him in the wilderness, right, prior to his becoming king. And that's bracketed by David later in his life. He's hiding in the wilderness once again from someone who wants to kill him. The first time he's running as, as an innocent man, the second time, near the end of his life, he's running as someone who's guilty and, 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 and deserves the kingdom being taken away from him. You've got just that, you know, that, the way that it frames the narrative about, about David himself. Um, the story of David, as we're going to read this week, becomes very tragic. And we read about David and Bathsheba and Nathan yesterday. And as we read on in, uh, in the story of David, as I think I pointed this out on Wednesday night, you're just going to notice this digression that... From this point on, David's life is going to be filled with heartache. And one of the points, maybe I made this on Wednesday night, but I need to make it again tonight for us. If, we're, if we want to take away from our reading and for it to be more than a checkbox, uh, it's this. It's better not to commit the sin. It's better not to commit this, this sin, even though God will forgive us. There are often consequences we'll live with for a long time. And maybe that goes without saying to this crowd, but probably most of us need to be reminded of that. We think, I'll be the one who gets away with it. You know, I'll be the one who escapes the consequences. 
And David, I wonder if he had, when he looked down off the rooftop that afternoon, if he had been able to look down in time into his future and to think about all the, all the consequences of that, all the rebellion within his own house, his own daughter being raped, his son being murdered, more than one of his sons being murdered, the bloodshed that would, that would permeate the house of David from then on. If David could have predicted that, if he had known that, would he have resisted the temptation that spring afternoon? And uh, perhaps many of us could say something similar about our own, our own sins and looking, if we had known what this was going to do. One of the reasons why, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why we have these stories is so that we might reflect from this side of it, okay, now I see what happens when we don't keep the covenant of God. That's one of the, one of the main lessons that we can learn again and again is that this is what happens. This is what happens. God tried to tell us this. He told us back, this back in Deuteronomy. He said, if you keep the covenant, things will go well. If you don't keep the covenant, things will go badly. And, and in many ways, the historical books are a commentary on Deuteronomy. This is what happens. This is what happens. When you obey the covenant, God will bless you. He'll take care of you. When you don't, things will go very, very badly. If you've got a Bible there close by, one on your phone or a paper and ink Bible. Turn to 2 Samuel 7 with me for a second. I referred to this two weeks ago, but we didn't have much time. We don't have a ton of time tonight, but I want to I point out a couple things that I didn't have time two weeks ago when we looked at it, because this is such a pivotal chapter. I think I told you then, 2 Samuel 7 is one of those chapters in the Bible. It's like, I mean, you've got creation, you've got the fall, you've got the call of Abraham in Genesis 12, you've got Acts 2, which is pivotal, Reflecting on the cross of Jesus, Matthew 26. Um, you got pivotal chapters in the Bible. You know, 2 Samuel is one of them. That's one of, that's one of them that needs to be on your list of big chapters in the Bible. And it's the one that they talked about in the video, and we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where David wants to build God a house and for him to dwell in. And, David says, and God says, no, you're not going to build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. The dynasty, as those guys said. And the reason that's important they allude to that in the video we just watched, is that there's something bigger going on in 2 Samuel 7. Uh, I know we talked about this briefly a couple weeks ago, but I want to actually turn to a passage in the New Testament in a second. But look at 2 Samuel 7 and, um, let's see, look at verse 12, 2 Samuel 7, 12. God says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build you a house, or he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from him, whom I put away from before you. One of the things you need to remember about reading the Old Testament is that a lot of times there are multiple fulfillments of texts. So there are promises that God makes, and they have a fulfillment in the immediate context. Like, for example, Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Well, we know from Matthew 1 that ultimately that pointed ahead to the birth of Christ, right? But there was something in the immediate context there that was going on in Hezekiah's day that, that was assigned to the people, a young lady, a young woman, a virgin shall conceive. And so you've got a fulfillment in the context, but, but in many of those you've got, you've got God doing something bigger than that. It's, it's God, God, of course, is, is looking at these things from his perspective, and he's doing something that we can't even see in the moment. Now, <laughs> I don't know what David understood at this time, 
Much of this was fulfilled in Solomon, right? Uh, Solomon would build a house for God and so on. And Solomon's son Rehoboam would reign. And Rehoboam's son Abijah would reign. And Abijah's son Asa or whoever. <coughs> this Davidic line was established. But ultimately this looked ahead to the king, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the son of David, who would sit on David's throne and reign forever, and of whose kingdom there would be no end. And, and so it's important to see that. A lot of times we don't, we don't understand that unless we've got a New Testament. We're looking at it through a New Testament lens. They help us to see that. And uh, so let me turn to just a couple of passages because I want you to see this connection. Uh, psalm 2-7, you don't have to turn there, but listen to this. This is the Psalm of David. He writes this, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That's Psalm 2-7, all right, which appears to be a psalm that is based on what we just read in 2 Samuel 7 because he said in verse 14, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, in the, in the immediate time frame, that referenced Solomon, right? David's son. <clears throat> but when we read the Psalms, and then when we read the New Testament, we recognize God wasn't only talking about Solomon. God was actually looking at someone else. And the psalmist says, I will be to him a father. Or, or, or He says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now, listen to this. Hebrews 1 and verse 5. This is important. Hebrews 1 and verse 5, talking to Christians who <coughs> needed to reaffirm their faith. They were struggling. <clears throat> and thinking about going back under a uh, system without forgiveness. Hebrews 1 5 says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today have I begotten you? That's a direct quotation of Psalm 2 7. All right? To which of the angels did he ever say, you're my son, today I have begotten you? Of course, the answer to that is, he never said it to any angel. Or, again, Hebrews says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. See, what the Hebrews writer is doing for us is he's helping us to see that the psalm, Psalm 2-7, and the, and the promise of 2 Samuel 7, these promises, yeah, they may have, in, in, a, in a limited way, have referenced Solomon, and David's physical descendants. But ultimately, that cup was not filled full until Christ. If you think of that imagery, you've got a cup here. And when Solomon began to reign, a little bit of that cup, there, there, a little bit was poured into that cup. But it wasn't full. <coughs> wasn't full, wasn't filled full, wasn't fulfilled until Christ came. And so you've got this kind of trajectory with the Old Testament looking ahead to, to Christ that's important for us to see. That's one thing I want you to notice. He read 2 Samuel a few days ago. Uh, but as you read ahead, God is going to... The rest of 2 Samuel is about the reign of David. Things are going to go poorly in so many ways. And David is going to suffer for the rest of his life for his choices. Let's look ahead. We've got just a couple minutes left. Uh, let me look ahead to what we're going to be reading as we move ahead. And we are um, reading a lot of psalms. As I mentioned last month, the last two weeks ago, maybe you, some of you perhaps weren't here. That was Easter Sunday. It was last of the leaders, and a lot of folks weren't here. Just remember this. If you're following along with the reading, the, those who plan the reading are trying to situate the psalms 
in conjunction with the history that you're reading. That's why you read Psalm 51 yesterday and Psalm 32 today, because they're in conjunction with the David and Bathsheba thing. So just notice that as you read, that these Psalms are usually going to be connected with something that you're reading. I, you know, I said that a couple weeks ago, but I wanted to make sure that you guys are familiar with that. We're going to go ahead and start reading some Proverbs in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Proverbs, that's one of the books of the Bible. I don't want to say it doesn't have a context because it's not completely context-less, but it's one of the books that it is more isolated in the sense that you read a chapter of Proverbs and it's not as connected to the previous chapter or to the chapter to come. It's more of bits of wisdom. So just notice that as you start reading Proverbs, uh, we'll read them in conjunction with the reign of Solomon because Solomon wrote some of them. And, uh, and so just, just be thinking about that. I'd encourage you to take the Proverbs and just think about how they apply. They're, they're meant to be bits, little nuggets of wisdom that help us learn how to apply the covenant to daily life. So all this goes back to the covenant, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, and how we live it. So how do you live it? Well, Proverbs tells us. If you're a wise person, you're going to apply the covenant, what God said to do and what he said not to do. You're going to apply that to the daily situations that you face. So notice that in Proverbs. As we move ahead, historically, just one word about that. After we get past 2 Samuel, uh, we'll get to 1 Kings here in the next couple of weeks, and that's going to go into the reign of, of, of Solomon. Then after that, everything's going to change. Lord willing, we'll have a chance to talk about this in a few weeks. Uh, but just to make sure that you're, you're tracking well historically with what's going on, David unites the kingdom. <coughs> things got somewhat divided after Saul died. So you got Saul. Things got a little bit divided after Saul died. I mean, the, some, of the, some of the tribes went with Ishbosheth, you know, for a little bit. But then David united Judah and Israel. Judah, remember, is the south. Israel's the north. So they're all united. The capital's Jerusalem. Temple's going to be built there by Solomon. So that's the united kingdom. You only have three, three kings while the kingdom is united. You got Saul, you got David, and you got Solomon. When you get to 1 Kings, just looking ahead, what you're going to notice is that after Solomon makes some really bad decisions, lots of bad decisions, and they have consequences for a long time. And one of those is the heavy taxation that he imposed on the people. And his son, Rehoboam, decides he's going to up the ante a little bit. And there's, there's a division, a civil war, essentially. And, and Israel divides off. They establish their own capital in Samaria after a while. And the southern capital is in Judah. They're, they're at war with it, periodically, on and off. They're at war with each other. And that's the divided kingdom. Israel in the north, you're going to... When you get there, when you get to 1 Kings and then 2 Kings and then Summon Chronicles, you're going to notice... You're going to go back from north to south, north to south. So just, just notice that. You'll, it'll say, you know, the king of Israel was uh, Jeroboam or whoever. <clears throat> it'll talk about him. And then it'll say, and the king of Judah, you got overlapping. You've got about 20 kings in the north and about 20 kings in the south until the time that those kingdoms end in, in exile. And uh, so just notice that. That's history. Some of it is pretty interesting stuff. You know, you've got a lot of stuff. Um, of the one thing that will be done, the 20 kings in the north... They were judged by, did they worship God only? Did they rid the land of idols? Were they faithful to the covenant? Those were the three basic criteria. In the north, of 20, none. Not a single one was faithful to the covenant. In the south, 
depending on how you, how you read it, you've got about eight. So eight of 20 in the south, zero of 20 in the north. So that's what we're going to read when we get to 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles as we look ahead. Um, all right, we're, we're, we're out of time. I appreciate so much. I hope you'll continue reading uh, Persistence, Perseverance. It'll be blessed. You know, God will, God will bless us if we stick with it and just keep, keep reading. For, if we're behind, uh, then, then start where we are. And go back and try to catch up bit by bit, and you'll eventually get caught up. I hope you'll do that. Let's pray as we close this class. Thank you, Lord, for a beautiful day, for giving us the chance to sit at your feet and read your word. And we pray that you would enlighten us and open our eyes so that we would learn exactly those things you want us to learn as we read these stories, as we read about successes and failings, as we read how you bless people who keep your covenant and how you punish those who don't, and help us to reflect on our own lives. And that will in, it, These stories will inspire us to be faithful sons and daughters of yours. We commit the following week to your care. We pray that you will be present every moment with us. And we ask in Christ's name, amen.